Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. We've been, Phil's been preaching up a storm in the last number of weeks uh, on the Sunday mornings. I hope you've been really blessed just by his teaching. Um, we've been on this series following Jesus and all of life. And over the last couple of week, last couple of Sundays, particularly, what we've tried to do is we've tried to really intentionally focus this more of an outward focus sort of way about how we can be intentional with the gospel. And uh, and what we've what we've been asking ourselves is this: if we really are to be those who, because this. This was our definition that we were trying to give to discipleship here in church. But if we really are to be those who follow Jesus in all of life, then we need to be clear in two things. For me, I feel that we need to be clear. Firstly, what are some of the rhythms and practices that Jesus, if we're going to follow Jesus, then what are some of the rhythms and practices that Jesus embedded in his life that enabled him to engage with the Father? Right? This is the thing we need to see. Jesus was the Son When we look at the Son, we can see how he engaged with the Father. There were certain habits and rhythms that he embedded in his life. So one of the things that Phil taught on for a large number of weeks was around the whole area of prayer and about the significance of of our prayer, our communication with the Father. Obviously, some of that did have an outward focused thrust with it in terms of our intercessory prayers, prayers of deliverance. But so much of what Phil was unpacking during that time was about the significance of intimacy and encounter with the Father, what it means to engage with the Father and to learn from Him. But the thing was, Jesus just didn't have rhythms and practices that allowed Him to engage and to be with the Father. Jesus was also a son that recognized that He was a son that had to be about the father's business. He said this even at the age of 12. So his parents come looking for him. Mary and Joseph, they've lost him. You know this passage, you've read it in the gospel. They can't find him. They find him in the temple. And here he is at the age of 12. They said that uh, all, all the religious people of the day were amazed by his wisdom. And they say, where, where, where were you? Do you not realize you give us a shock? We were frightened to death. We thought we'd lost you. And he says, why, why are you afraid? He said, do you not realize I must be about my father's Businesses, what the authorized version says. It must be about my father's business. And the thing was with Jesus was that because he knew that who he was in the father and he knew what his identity was as son and he was given himself just to be able to engage and to get to know more and more and more of the heart of the father. As he get to know, got to know the heart of the father, one of the things that he was increasingly becoming aware of as a young boy was that there was a business there's a business of the Father, the business of the kingdom of heaven. This is the mission, the missional impulse, the missional life of the kingdom of heaven that is alive amongst us. And one of the things today that I feel the Father wants to remind us of and the Father wants to give us a fresh invitation into once again, because this was the whole purpose of the kingdom of heaven, the heart of the Father. And Jesus was getting this as he read the Gospels, or not the Gospels, he was the Gospels. As he read the Old Testament, was able to see the God story up to this point. He was finding his place in the story. He was the Messiah. He was the the one that was promised that would come, the one who was the redeemer and the rescuer of all things. And Jesus realized this, that this was the whole part of the the Father and what the kingdom was about. It was around these two areas, redemption and reconciliation. The heart of God is this, as it was at the beginning of all things, what his plans and purposes were at the beginning. We've just sung it this morning. Your plans are still to prosper. You've not forgotten. The plans and purposes of God will always come to pass. 
And what it was at the beginning, even though sin came in and distorted things, God was not taken off guard with us. There was a, there was a rescue plan from before the foundation of time we were told about, and this is the whole point of redemption. Sometimes we can have such a narrow-minded focus on redemption that we think that it's just about saying a sinner's prayer to get us into heaven. That is not redemption. That is such a, a minimal version of it. Redemption is where the Father was adamant he wanted to redeem all things as it was at the beginning. So the fact that people could be in relationship with God once again, the fact that he could restore relationship person to person, the fact that he could bring some of the kingdom values into our lives, this was the whole point of redemption. As it was at the beginning, so it would be forever. And this is the whole point of reconciliation as well. Listen to these verses that Paul says. Colossians, for in him all the fullness of God, this is in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things, all things, whether in heaven or on earth, and making peace by the blood of the cross, to reconcile all things unto the Father. He says this to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 5. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is the, this is the, the mission and the, the, the whole activity and the whole point of the kingdom of heaven amongst us. It's not just so that we can feel the nice feeling of the peace of God upon our lives. The kingdom of heaven present amongst us right now is there's a forward thrust with it. It's trying to bring all people, the whole heart of the gospel is this, the will of the fathers, that none would perish. The heart of God is for every person. You need to hear this in the room this morning. It's that the heart of God is for every single person sitting in these seats. He wants us all to be living fully and alive in these things with him. And so this was the mission that Christ had come to live out. And the, the most beautiful thing is that Jesus says these words then in the book of John's gospel, and he says this, we've read this before, but he says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. We could so easily ask, and probably people came to feel really comfortable to do this. You can so easily say, oh, I believe in Jesus. We sing the songs, I believe in Jesus. So it's so easy to sing songs and put your hand up and say, I believe in Jesus. But actually, Jesus says, well, if you really mean it, this is what it's about. All, whoever believes in me, will do the works I've been doing. If you say you believe in Jesus, here's where it all hits the road. You will do the works that Jesus has been doing. So there's two things in that word just before we move on past it. Firstly, it's a command, right? Jesus says, if you're claiming my name, you're saying you believe in me, part of the family, you will do the works. It's a command. It's like, get about the kingdom mission, the mission of the kingdom. Get about the Father's business. You will do the works. And the second part of it is this, where Jesus says, you will do the works, is that it's an enabling thing. You're able to do it. 
for some people, and David touched on this when he was teaching with us over, over, those, over that Sunday, that the whole point is that Jesus, because it's not to do with us, the fact that us and ourselves are able to do it, but we are those who have now been entrusted with the power and authority of the kingdom of God. Jesus, the power and authority of Jesus now alive within us. And because of that, this is what Jesus says, you will, you're able to do it. Some people in their heads feel, oh, well, it's maybe for some other people, but it's not for me. No, if you're a believer, it's for you. And this is what the Father, I feel, wants to say this morning. You are able. Not just the person sitting next to you. You are able. This is what the Father would say to you this morning. You are significant. You have a worth. You have a purpose for the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God not just wants to come alive in you, but through you. You are significant. Your life counts. The enemy wants to steal that from you, but your life counts. You were worth everything to God that he gave his son to die for you. And not just so that you could get to heaven, but so that you could come alive in him and through him so that other people get to know him. Your life counts. And if you believe in Jesus, you will. You're able to do this. This is it's good news, isn't it? But it's, thank you, Philly. We're able to. It's good news. But this is a challenge for us this morning. Well, what do we do with that? And that's where I'm going to go this morning. With us, we hear the words of Christ, we're able to do it. And a number of months ago, when I, I taught on some of this, the way I summarized it was just being able to say that we were qualified. You're, this verse qualifies you to, to be about the kingdom business. Sometimes where the enemy comes in and lies to you and says, you're not able to do it. I know what you did. You're, you couldn't do it. And he tries to disqualify and discredit you. This is the verse that actually qualifies you to be about the kingdom business. And so the, what I used that time was, um, obviously, sometimes we try to go after big qualifications in our life. Put up this just as an easy way of remembering it. This is the qualification of the kingdom, PhD. These are the things that were qualified and enabled to be about. We were those who are now in the name of Jesus and with the authority of Jesus. We're able to proclaim the message of Jesus because of the power and authority that we carry. We are those that are able to heal because of the power and authority that we carry as what David was speaking of, where those who are not able to deliver. Not because of anything just in our own right, but because of Jesus. And so for the guys as they go into schools over the next two weeks, it's because of the authority that has been given to you in the name of Jesus and the power that you now carry in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit upon you. You are now able to do these things. You're more than able. You will face some really situations where you're thinking, oh, I don't know if I can do this. And you can. <laughs> you're able not on your own strength, but through Christ you can do all things. So this is the qualification for all of us in our lives this morning. And, uh, and this is what I felt the Holy Spirit saying. Man, time's getting away from here. Um, this is what I felt the Holy Spirit say this morning. So based on like even what Laura said and some of the words from the prayer ministry guys earlier, I feel that there's some people in the room this morning that I felt the Holy Spirit say that there's people that are in a very distant place at the moment in their, in their walk with the Father. They feel distant. It's not that the Father has moved, but they feel that They've, they've maybe grown cold a little bit on their walk, or there's a, and I felt one of the words that the, the, the Lord was speaking into this morning around why there's a distance that was created was because there started to settle in some people's hearts a sense of apathy. There was a sense of apathy in this. And what happens is that when, when the apathy gets in there, it's, it's, it's a really hard thing to try and face up to. One of the reasons I felt the Holy Spirit say this is that why apathy has crept into your life is because the two things that we said Jesus was, was about, he was someone who knew what it was to be with the Father, 
to be alone with the Father. It's one of the things, obviously, that can just make you distant and cold as if you're not getting alone with the Father. But also, he knew what it was to be about the Father's business. Here's the thing that I felt the Holy Spirit say. When you engage in the, in the mission of the kingdom, this is one of the most life-giving things you can ever do. This is one of the things that fills you with life as you can be about the Father's business, as you give yourself to be able to see the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It's life-giving. And what happens is because if you don't engage with that, what starts to settle in your heart and in your life is a sense of lifelessness. You feel lifeless because you haven't engaged in the thing that's actually meant to bring you life and bring life to other people, the mission of the kingdom of God. And one of the things I feel the Father saying this morning is, wake up. Come and be part of it again. I think for some people that you feel, oh, I couldn't have I've maybe gone too far away. And it's like, no, just get up on your feet again and let's go again. Be about the Father's business. I feel these two things. Be about the Father's business and be with the Father is obviously crucial. But I feel that as you do this, this is the life that he wants to release in us as a church family, but through us as well. If all of us could commit ourselves to this, that we wouldn't be just a people that's just, we want to be me and my small corner and you and yours. I want to be alone with the Father and get just know myself. But it's actually, I want to get the kingdom alive in me so that it can come through me because I recognize there's a job to be done. And I'm entrusted with it. You're entrusted with it this morning. This is the good news of the kingdom. And so what I want to focus just for the last 10 minutes or so is this. If we are to be the people that bring the good news, this is why evangelism is a key part. I want to just speak a little bit about evangelism this morning and then paint the picture of where we're going to go over the next um, couple of months as we go into and through the summer with this, and just how we want to be very practical for it. The word evangelism, it's a word we've heard so often in church. You've, you've all heard the word evangelism before, yes? And uh, here's, here's where this word comes from. So it's, it's a Greek word. Let me read the pronunciation of it. Um, it's, uh, the, the way you pronounce this is euangelion, I think is how you pronounce it. So euangelion, and it's two, two words, two parts of this word. The first word, you, E-U, means good. And then this word, angelion, means message or news. The whole point of evangelism, really simply, we've heard this before, is that it is the proclamation of good news. Right? It's very simple. We've got that before. What we need to understand, though, is that into the culture and into the context that Jesus was ministering in and that the early church were speaking into, this word, euangelion, had a very different sort of meaning as well. What this word, euangelion, in that context was, was a word that was, it was a military word. It was used in military. And it was a proclamation and a declaration of victory. <laughs> What happened was that in battle, right, as, as nations went to battle, and so obviously there were loads of Romans about what would have happened is the Roman people would have gone into battles. If there was a victory, there was a proclamation or a declaration, we've won. It was a eugalia, and this, this word evangelism was. It was, a, it was a victory cry. And usually it was the king that would have been doing it. It was a cry of victory. We've won, we've won, we've won. Let me see where I'm at here. This, this word, it appears 77 times in 74 verses. It was all about proclaiming good news. It's similar to a word in the Old Testament, a Hebrew word. Uh, there was the word basar. So a proclamation or declaration of victory. This word basar, which means to bring a message, to tell news, or to give thanks. So here's some of the Old Testament references for this. Again, it's all to do with proclamation. Um, so in 1 Samuel 31, 9, they cut off Saul's head and stripped him of his armor. They sent messengers to announce, right? There was something about proclaiming it. In 2 Samuel 18, 31, then the Cushite arrived and said, May the Lord, the king, now receive the good news. 
This is this word it's about. It's a proclamation of good things. 1 Kings 1, 42. As he was still speaking, Jonathan, son of Abathar, the priest, arrived. Adonijah said, come in, for an important man like you must be bringing good news. That's what the whole point of evangelism is. But this word, you and Galilee, however, while it was all about a cry of victory for Jesus as he arrives on the scene, Jesus was the Messiah that everyone wanted to come in and just to wipe out the Romans, these stinking Romans that were about in Israel at the time. That's what all the Jews wanted. They wanted a Messiah that was coming in with military force, like coming in on horseback and all that sort of stuff, just to kick the Romans out of the place. And Jesus comes and announces something very different. He says, I've come and come to bring and declare peace, the shalom of the kingdom of heaven. I've come to declare good news for the, for, for the people uh, of, of the world. And, and so what we see is that as Jesus comes, as what we read, as he opens the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, as he stands in front of the temple in Jerusalem, this is how he begins his mission. And he says, his words, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news. This word, you Galion, this victory cry. This victory cry, and Jesus is coming to say, this is victory because the kingdom's here. And then what happened was that for the, for the early church and the apostles, as Jesus dies, we just celebrated it this morning and is raised to life. And as he ascends back to heaven, they just recognize that Jesus is alive. And much more than that, as they see the culture around them and they see everyone where it's just invaded by Rome and the whole thing within their society, it's just this word and this agenda that Caesar is Lord. What the church was, this was their declaration. This was their victory cry. This was the evangelistic message was, no, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord of our lives. Jesus is Lord. He's victorious. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. And this is still the message that we declare today. Jesus is Lord. This is still what we proclaim in our lives. We're going to look today. Sometimes that has to be spoken in words. So some people are carrying a grace to be able to do that. But this has to be able to be spoken and just how we live out our lives. And that's why it's good to have uh, an image of it this week as, as these guys go into school and play sports. There's something that even in their lives we're going to be looking at today, the openness that this will bring, which hopefully will be something that speaks to all of us. Evangelism, there is, therefore, is a key part of what it means to follow Jesus. As Jesus ascended to heaven, you know this passage, we've read it so many times in this church, in Ephesians 4, these five-fold graces were given to the church, and he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints. One of the things I just need you to realize is this. What it does not say is that God gave the gift of evangelism. It says that God gave the gift of evangelists, right? He gave people who were strongly carrying this grace of being an evangelist. Now, there are certain people in this church, in this body, that are carrying a strong grace to do that, where they feel at ease of going and being able to proclaim and stand in front of people to acknowledge. This is what Paul and Peter were doing as they went around from in, the, in the marketplace and outside the temple courts, and they were just proclaiming and declaring Jesus is Lord. There was this, Paul says this, I'm an apostle, I'm an evangelist. He recognizes this grace upon him. But the whole point is this, is that when, you, when we have evangelists within the church, is that they're the ones that continually remind us that this is what actually we all need to be about, is that there has to be an evangelistic emphasis to all of our lives. That's what evangelists remind us of. But one of the things I want to say is this, and hear me in this when I say this, right? Don't shoot me down if you disagree with this. Not everyone is called to be an evangelist. Right? Let me finish this. Not everyone's called to be an evangelist, but you are called to be evangelistic in everything you do. So not everyone is called to be like a Dixie or a Nigel or other people like that who can just stand up 
shout at the street corners. Actually, he doesn't shout at the street corners, but you get my drift, right? Being able to just be there in the proclamation in front of people. Not everyone is called to do that, but you are called to be evangelistic in your very nature. Not everyone is called to be an evangelist, but you are called to make disciples. Jesus told you to do it. Not everyone is called to be an evangelist, but you are called to make a difference in this world. We are told, and that's what we just read in that passage, that we would be messengers of reconciliation and ambassadors of this. And so we see this in Colossians 2. Let me just show you this. Colossians 4, verses 2 to 6. Here it is on the screen. Let's read the first part of this. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. What Paul is saying here to the churches, he says, guys, I'm going up here and I'm going to be proclaiming this. You know me, I'm an apostle, I'm an evangelist. I'm going to be up and I'm going to be declaring this message. Would you pray for me? Would you pray for me and just that there would be, the chains would be taken off, I'm going to be able to do this. And then he goes on to say this. So he's saying, well, this is what I'm doing. He says, this is what I'm telling you to do. This is what Paul's saying to the rest of the church. He says this, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. The second half of this verse shows us that while not everyone is called to be an evangelist, you are again called to be evangelistic in how you conduct yourselves. The last time I was here speaking on a Sunday morning, I used this phrase, what we are called to do is to live questionable lives. How you live your life in such a way that people start to ask questions. What's so different about you? Why, why do you act that way? Why do you always look like you're so happy and smiling all the time? Maybe they don't ask you about that. If they don't, you should ask yourself a question. What, what, what is so different? See, this is why in that passage we've just read, this is what he says at the end, is let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. People should be asking questions about you and about your life. There should be something that is different about you to the people around you in the different contexts. Last week, Phil looked at your social spheres, where you're at, and the places where you, you get to engage and to evangelize with people, but there should be something different, something that is noticeable. That's why Peter says this, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. They should see the hope that you have. It should be evident. It should be starting to produce something called joy and peace. This is the part of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. These things should start to be produced in your life. And people, this should be evident to people. This is not something that you should be start preaching and saying, well, I'm a very joyous person. You should be joyous too. It should just be evident. And one of the things I need to say with this is that don't put on a pretense ever. Just to try and strong arm someone into making a decision for Jesus. Like, so don't put on a show of being something that you're not. Because people will see through that. But the whole point is this, is that there should be something very different about your life. And so what we see, Paul, with this moment we finished, Paul actually starts to lay this out. In his context, he starts to say, right, well, guys, here's some of the things, here's some of the ways that you could live a questionable life. And so in Titus chapter 2, the first 10 verses, he starts to list some of them. He says, so to the young men, here's, here's how you could live a questionable life. To the old women... Here's how you can live a questionable life. He says this to slaves, because we don't have slaves in this context, but this is what he was saying. Teach the slaves to, subject, to be subject to their masters and everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted. And listen what this says, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. 
something about your life that is just so different that it's just like, man, there's something about your life that is so good. There's something about your life that I just realized I'm missing. You know, I've always told you my story. That was the bit for me that was just a turnaround point for me when I was in Cuba and I just saw something in someone's life. It wasn't as if it was your backslid and you need to go back to what you were. It was just something I'd never had. You know, it was just, and I started to ask, God, what is that? And then I realized, actually, it's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Starting to ask, it's making God attractive in your very lives. And so while Paul and Peter were out evangelizing and proclaiming the kingdom around them, there was, there was an army of the church infiltrating every part of society and living questionable lives to those around them. This is what Phil described last week as everyone, every day, everywhere. This is what we all get to do. And we're going to leave some space at the end to reflect, well, what does that look like for you in your, in your context? love this quote. History has focused on the achievements of the leading figures of the early church, apostles, prophets, teachers, and evangelists who played their part in knitting together a rapidly expanding movement. But they were the exception, not the rule. Overwhelmingly, early Christianity was spread not by professionals, but by ordinary people whose names and deeds went unrecorded. Through their social networks of relatives and friends, they reached the Hellenized Jews living outside Israel. The kingdom spread. What happened was that because everyone was living with this evangelistic thrust to their lives and this evangelistic purposeless, and that's one of the things to think the Father just wants to almost resurrect this morning, is that there's a purpose for your life. Some of you maybe feel, and it's maybe the hopelessness, or because of the heart that Lord's speaking of, it's just created the sense of hopelessness. There's a purpose for your life. Your life counts. Your life is worth something. And this is almost what the Father wants to resurrect this morning because it was through this as ordinary people went about living out their lives before God and their work and with their families and with their friends. This is how we read in the book of Acts. Numbers were added to their, to their fellowship daily. People were being saved. Not by someone standing on a platform like us and making speeches that just suddenly was able to convince people. They saw it in people's lives. And they started to question, what's that about? What do you have that I don't have? I want a bit of that. But what does a questionable life look like in our society? What sort of ways should we give our life to be able to arouse curiosity of the gospel? I, I tried to say this quote um, a couple of Sunday nights ago and I completely got it wrong. And uh, it was one of those ones I was gutted because it was one of my old favorite songs when I was growing up. Any of you remember a band called DC Talk? back in the day, and they had this song called Jesus Freak. I, when I, man, I thought it was the coolest thing, singing the song Jesus Freak as a free Presbyterian. I didn't let my mum and dad hear it. And, uh, and uh, it, was, it, was, it was one of those ones, they had this line, and it said, the single greatest cause of atheism, the single greatest cause of atheism, disbelief about God in the world today, are Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. And they go on to say this, it's what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. It's what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. What is believable about your life? Again, people see through the pretense. And this is why, firstly, we need to be people that can be with the Father. Be secure in your identity as a son and a daughter, the Father who loves you. We've just sang it this morning. Remind yourself of the love of the Father. Embed yourself and invest yourself in the love of the Father. But then to be a people that wants to be about the Father's business. There's a world to be one. That's the heart of the Father that none would perish. And this is why he calls and trusts us to be part of it. And so to be able to do that, we just can't, 
if we're going to live our lives that attracts people, we can't just do it sometimes and not do it other times because people will see through that. So you can't be nice and civil to someone one day and then absolutely slate them or give them a dirty look the next day. Obviously, we're all human and we all make mistakes. But what I would say is this. As we follow Jesus in all of life, there were certain habits and certain patterns that Jesus just was embedding in his life that he was just practicing time and time again. And what I would love us to be, we, we have us, I was chatting with the guys about this during the week, we have these six key practices that we uh, focus all our all our work as a church around. So when we're trying to make decisions, strategic decisions, it's all focused under these six key practices is who we are as a church. At a leadership level is what we try to do. But I was saying to the guys, you know what? I just feel that I would just love, even in my own life, to know, right, these are some of the, the habits that I just want to just try to foster on a daily basis. As I look at Jesus and look at his life and observe his life, there are certain things that he embedded in his life that if I want to follow him, I want to be about and I want to do. And so we're going to be teaching in these. This is where I'm getting to. We're going to be teaching these over the next couple of months. We're going to be very practical with this. Um, sorry if this is really cheesy, but hopefully it's a way for you to be able to remember some of these things. It's just an acronym of the word bless and then some words with it. But these are some of the things we're going to be looking at. So what it actually means to bless and to be a generous people. Generosity is key. What it means to befriend. Like if you're looking to win people for God, it's probably one of the best ways to do it is out of a place of relationship. But also then as part of the church, the significance of ongoing accountability and relationship. So we bless. We as a people that listen and learn that we speak out of a place of knowing who we are in Christ and being able to speak the prophetic word in the people's lives as well. We listen. We, we want to just almost resurrect the forgotten form of hospitality. This was a key part of what it means to be part of the church, the community of faith, is that they just daily broke bread together. They did life together, hospitable. So we just want to teach into that. We want to just look about the significance. David was speaking to us about this, that we are sent, but we are sent in the power of the Spirit. We'll be looking at that on Pentecost Sunday. We want to look about some of the rhythms of Jesus, of sacrifice and surrender, what it means to take up your cross, because this is the stuff that gets people to start to ask questions. And then finally, about being servant-hearted to the people around us, that so we serve people. Um, I, I of a place of just wanting to bless him and then finally there has to just come that point of just again being still and just knowing and so we just want to look at some of the rhythms of sabbath these are some of the things we're going to be teaching on over the next few while adrian the guys are going to come and, uh, and just as they do that just for the last couple of minutes what i would love you to do could you just close your eyes just one wee second for me i just want to just invite the holy spirit just to speak personally to us just as we close this off All right, and so what I would love you to do firstly, because we're talking about questionable lives, Paul spoke into what it was in his context. What I want you to do is to contextualize this for you. And so what I want you to do is think firstly of your work or your school environment where you spend your, your during the day, day-to-day -day sort of environment. I want you to just focus on that for a moment. And I want you to just ask and allow the Holy Spirit to speak, what does living a questionable life in that environment look like for you? Perhaps you might even sense the Holy Spirit maybe bring some sort of conviction at this point if there's some things maybe that you're practicing in your life that isn't really living like Jesus, but it's just the opposite. It's kind of blending and fitting in. But what does a questionable life look like in your work or your school or your everyday environment? Some of you are business owners. 
What does it look like to live a questionable life as someone with employees? How do they look at you and say, what is so different about you? Some of you are working with finance. How can people ask, what's so different? Some of your employees in lots of different ways and retail and what's, what's questionable? And then I want you to just think of your home context for me a little second. This is where it becomes real because this is where everyone sees who you are. What does it mean to live a questionable life? So I need to ask this for myself. What does it mean to live a questionable life as a husband? That would leave our wives, even for a boyfriend as well, I should say, to a girlfriend, what does it mean to live a questionable life? And that's that, and that leaves them asking questions. Why are you acting that way? Why do you behave that way? Why do you not do that or this? Because whatever you feel the Spirit's saying, that would be questionable. Why don't you start praying and asking for boldness to do that? Wives, girlfriends, what does a questionable life look like for you? Sons and daughters, mums and dads, what do questionable lives look like for you? Grandparents. So into these things, just continue to allow the Holy Spirit to speak. It's into these things that this is where we see the kingdom come. As you live into these things, again, not just being hearers of a word, but God, what does this actually mean for me in practice? I just want to just pray right now. Father, God, in all of our lives, God, our heart's desire is that we just want to see your kingdom come, God, in greater measure, God, in our time. God, you've told us, God, this, this promise, God, that if your people who are called by your name will humble themselves, God, this is how we want to humble ourselves. We want to bow our knee to the lordship of King Jesus. And Jesus, we say you're Lord of our lives. And so, God, we want to follow you in all of life. God, whatever of these areas, God, that we just need to just acknowledge you, God, in different ways. God, to live differently. God, to behave and become more like you. God, I just pray that you would give us a boldness, God, in these coming days. God, that we would step into, God, the immeasurably more that you have for us. And God, I pray that as we do it, God, that people would begin to ask questions. God, not because we want anyone to see anything great about us, but Jesus, we want to see people to see good things about you. God, we want to be able to declare our story and our testimony, God, of what you have done in our lives. And God, I just pray for opportunities in these coming days. God, I pray even this week, God, Lord, that within many people, God, with everyone, God, and sitting in the room right now, God, Lord, that there would just be opportunities, God, and we just want to just follow the word of Scripture, God. We want to make the most of every opportunity that lies ahead of us. And so, God, give us boldness. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you're saying this week. And God, we just pray, God, that as we do it, God, your kingdom come. Your will be done amongst us. God, we just pray, Lord, that daily, daily we would start to see people being saved. God, our hearts desire, God, us to see the lost one for you. To see lives transformed by your kingdom. Thank you for what it's brought to us. God, but we just pray now, God, would you release it through us. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.